I think it's exciting to see uh, people and these young people um, this morning baptized. And I, um, I was baptized a long, long time ago now at a Baptist church in Glasgow, in Scotland. And when I was baptized, at the end of the baptism, there was six or seven of us, at the end of each baptism, they sang this really sad, somber, dreary hymn. And I thought of myself, when I become a pastor in our own church, my own church, and we do baptisms, I'm going to invite people to clap and cheer. Because, and I appreciate that you do that this morning. I didn't know what your church did, but, you know, it's not a sad, somber event. It is exciting. And we're here to say to these young people this morning, we get baptized. Yay! Go for it. We're with you. So I think that's tremendous. And uh, this morning, um, when I talk about baptism, and you are a congregation, I'll tell you, that I've discovered in these. Uh, couple of months we've been together. You listen well. You listen well. And this morning I'm going to ask you to bring your head and your heart together um, in this message uh, which is talking about stepping forward into baptism. And so we say for example this morning, welcome to Vancouver uh, Chinese Baptist Church. That's where you are. Some of you are not sure. Okay? And we think, why do we call ourselves that? Well, the word Vancouver is easy, because that's where we are. Uh, Chinese, look around. That's who you are. But why are we a Baptist church? Some questions this morning we need to talk about. Why do we call ourselves a Baptist church? Why do we baptize people by immersion so that they get all wet? Uh, Why do we do that? So what does baptism mean? And frankly, is baptism, is it really necessary? Is it some, just, some kind of optional extra that this church thought up? Um, and they want you to do it, but it's really, it really is not that important. It's just some kind of optional extra. I'm going to ask you this morning, as I say, to bring your head and your heart together and listen carefully to me. And in about 25 minutes or so, I will tell you, um, if you say this morning that you're a follower of Jesus but of not being baptized, not taking this step forward, then this morning I will give you an invitation and a challenge as we sing a hymn of response in about 25 minutes. I will give you an invitation and a challenge to step out of the pew where you are and come forward and meet one of the pastors and one of the deacons. And we simply want to pray with you. We want to affirm that decision. And that will set up the next baptism class and the next baptismal service. And so God may have a word for you this morning that you really need to hear. If you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I follow Jesus, what have you done with that? And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God to speak to you and to really challenge you in your life where you are. What I want to say to you this morning is that I believe over a number of years, many, many churches that talk about baptism have disconnected baptism from several key events in the Christian life. And this morning we need to say, what would happen if we powerfully reconnected baptism to these things? I'm going to pick out four of them and see what would happen to us. Four vital reconnections that I believe that we need to make. First of all, we need to reconnect baptism to our initial decision to follow Jesus. Now, without any hesitation, we would say and we would affirm this morning that the only thing that reconciles us to God and brings us peace with God is the work of the cross. 
Francis Schaeffer, who was an apologist, a theologian. He taught a, um, a village in Switzerland and really brought a lot of young people who were searching in the 60s for the answer to life. Brought a lot of people together. Francis Schaeffer talked about how our salvation comes and what he said was Christ plus nothing. Christ plus nothing. We don't have to add anything to that. And we will fully agree with that. And so if we just stay there, then I would say to you that baptism is an optional extra. Something that many Christians might say, well, that's an elective. You can do it if you want to do it, but it's not important. And while this morning we will fully agree that baptism does not make you a Christian, we'll never say if you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. We need to see this morning that within the teaching and the practice of the New Testament, the gospel is no more and no less than the declaration of the cross. And baptism is part of what was called the kerygma. That may be a new word for you this morning. Baptism is the proclamation of the gospel. Baptism is the proclamation of the message of the cross. And when the gospel was proclaimed that people were to come to repent and receive Jesus, that included the call and the challenge of baptism. If you've got your Bible or your iPad or whatever you follow with me this morning, Acts chapter 2 verse 38, Paul says, sorry, Peter says, repent, that means change your Take a new direction in life and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice he says repent. That's the charisma, the proclamation of the cross. He says repent and be baptized. So ask yourself for a moment this morning, what does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? How would I define that? Well, if we reduced being a Christian to perhaps the most basic definition we could, I would suggest to you that being a Christian is saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. You get by that? I'm a follower of Jesus. Someone who follows the life and the example of Jesus in word and in life. And if you would agree with that this morning, can I say to you that you cannot escape the reality of baptism as a step in discipleship. The reason is that Jesus began his earthly ministry by being baptized. He did it to fulfill all righteousness, he said, to identify with us in our humanity. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John, remember, was a relative of him. Of his. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized to you. Why do you come to me? John understood who Jesus was and said, We've got this wrong. You should be baptizing me. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John is consented, or John agreed. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, the heavens opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, and I am well pleased with him. In other words, God was affirming, God was applauding, God was settling in what Jesus was doing. So Jesus begins his earthly ministry by being baptized. When Jesus finished his earthly ministry some three years later, he commanded his disciples this. He says, Therefore go, 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus begins his earthly ministry in the waters of baptism in Jordan. He finishes his earthly ministry before he returns to his Father, says to his disciples, go into all the world, all the nations, and as you go and as you take my message, and as men and women and young people respond in every land, You baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That command was clearly understood in the New Testament. The book of Acts, it says, again, this is Peter, with many other words he warned them, pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added that day. Remember that, imagine that baptismal service? Man, at the end of the day you're saying, Ah, ah, you must be tired. But 3,000 people were baptized. (laughs) Do you understand? When we separate baptism from following Jesus and see it as an optional, optional, I suggest to you we we weaken baptism as our command of Jesus. If you have a Bible, turn to this story. Acts chapter 8. It's a story about Philip meeting a man on a chariot. The man's reading from the Old Testament. And he doesn't know who he's talking about. He asks Philip for some help. And here's what it says, verse 32. So now you can catch up with us. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and the lion before his chariot was silent. He did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? His life was taken from the earth. And then this eunuch, this man in the chariot, says to Philip, Tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Who is this about? And then Philip begins with that very same passage of scripture. By the way, where was the man reading from? Which book? Isaiah. Which chapter? We're not moving on until we get it right. Which chapter? 53. And so the man was, who is this talking about? And Philip, beginning with that very same passage, now understand the phrase, it says, he told us the good news about Jesus. Starting from that passage, it simply says, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. That's all it says. And then the next verse says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in my way? What can stop me from being baptized? Now I will tell you, that verse only makes sense if telling them the good news about Jesus included telling them about baptism. Otherwise, that verse as a response does not make any sense. Something in telling them the good news about Jesus, Philip included the challenge and invitation to baptism. And so you see, baptism is part of an early step in our personal discipleship. When Jesus is kind of gathering his disciples for the last time for some upper room teaching, he says to them, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments says that to us. Tom, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And I love him and I want to keep his commandments. So do you. Jesus in the next chapter, as we call it, says this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
Now see how those two verses really revolve around each other? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you walk and keep my commandments, baptism is one of those, by the way, you will walk and you will abide in my love. So in a few minutes, do you need to take that step towards baptism because you say, I'm a follower of Jesus. We need to reconnect baptism with life transformation. We need to do that. This first step of believing and accepting Jesus, as these young people have shared today, takes us on the road of following Jesus. And stretched ahead of us are miles and miles of life transformation. Baptism is a statement about our serious commitment to the life of transformation. It's more than just an initial confession of Christ. It is the declaration that we will be actively engaged in a life of transformation. The old is fully gone and the new is coming to our lives. And nothing, no picture is more powerful than a person who comes and as it were strips off their old clothes, their old way of life steps into the waters of baptism and puts on a new robe, the robe and the life of righteousness. That's why it says in Romans, and Pastor Cindy acted this out this morning in these baptisms. We were buried with him through baptism into death. Death to the old way of life. In order that as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might rise and walk in a new life together. We're declaring this person has decided to follow Jesus. Remember, um, there's an old gospel song. I don't know if you know it anymore. I have decided to follow Jesus. Do you know that one? Some of the young people are saying, man, he is old. If you know songs like that. Remember one of the verses said, no turning back, no turning back. But here's a difficult passage for a few minutes. It begins in the story of Noah and the ark. It's found in the book of Peter. It says, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. Remember the story of the ark. Now here's what it says. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus who has gone into heavens at God's right hand. But we have said baptism does not save you. What does Peter mean when he writes, this water which symbolizes baptism now saves you? Let me suggest this to you this morning. That if we turn the word save just a little bit of meaning, and you can do that in the Greek text, we might say that baptism keeps you safe. In other words, when we've been baptized, we face some temptation. Some enticement that may make us drift off course a little bit. We need to remember the vow and the promise that we made in baptism. What it means. And baptism keeps us safe. Our baptismal vow reminds us of a commitment that we've made. It keeps us from morally and spiritually straying off course. And all of us in our lives will come to a moment where we're tempted to wonder. We may not know the time and the date, frankly, when we accepted Jesus. But we cannot forget, we cannot deny, and we cannot let go of the day and the time we stripped off our clothes, we put on a robe, and we stepped down into the water, and we said, this day and from this day on, Jesus is my Savior, and Jesus is my Lord. As the old hymn gospel song said, no turning back, no turning back. And baptism is to be a cherished experience. (laughs) 
etched in our minds through every one of those days. It is an unforgettable reminder that we've made a commitment to Christ to follow Him always in every circumstance. So in those days and moments of doubt or hesitation, we cannot forget the fact that we got all wet when we accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. We need to reconnect, reconnect baptism to the life of the Spirit. We need to walk carefully. I believe that one of the unfortunate separations that the church has made, we've made in our lives, is we've separated the baptism of water and the baptism by the Spirit. When we respond to the truth of God, God responds to us with the gift of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's always been at work in your life, trying to nudge you forward, lead you towards Christ. Every Christian receives the gift of the Spirit. Acts 2.38 Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the sad things that we've done in the church is we've separated those things and made that a later event. We've separated these things chronologically, often by many years. You get converted, believe in Jesus, and then sometimes later you stumble upon this truth of the life and power of the Holy Spirit. That's not the way the Bible thinks. It's not the way the Bible talks. The life and the power of the Spirit is in you from day one. It is not an optional course for potential charismatics. It is something to be taught to every Christian preparing and walking into baptism. As you receive Christ and in your baptism, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. You need to know that. And the church needs to know and affirm that. So the book of Ephesians talks about seven unities. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. Is that a baptism of water? A baptism of the Spirit? I would say to you, don't, dis- don't disconnect them. The New Testament would understand the-, the synergy and the power of your baptism in water and the baptism of the Spirit coming together in your life. The baptism of Jesus declares the coming and the power of the Spirit. Baptism in His name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit <coughs> can do no less. And lastly, we need to reconnect baptism with the life of the church. It is something which is to be done in the community of the church. Here on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening, whatever it is, in which we applaud, we cheer, and we welcome people, embrace them into the community of the church. Um, There's an old custom in the preparation of wedding services you may not know about. It's called the reading of bands. Um, Willis and Winnie, where are you? Down there. Um, you were married recently. You probably went and bought a marriage license. Is that right? Cost you $100. Willis is the best $100 you've ever spent, let me tell you. But you went and bought a marriage license. Long time ago, when Harriet and I were married in Scotland, we didn't go buy a wedding license, a marriage license. We went to the local parish church one morning and we had what was called our bands read. Our marriage bands. In other words, in the town where we lived, it was announced as part of the church announcements on the Sunday morning in the bulletin that Tom Cowan, 
and Harriet Gunyon, my wife's maiden name, intended to be married on a certain date, three, four weeks hence. The point was that the understanding was that everybody in the community should be there and everybody in the community should know us. And this was now a community announcement that they were making that these two people intended to be married. That was called the reading of bands. You can still do that today, although it's no longer legal. You still need to go and get a marriage license. But everyone would know if we were free to be married, the community would understand that. But the idea embedded in the reading of bands was the idea of community witness. The community would know, the community would see, the community would understand we intended to get married. And so you see, baptism is a community event. It is a public witness to entering into a changed life within the community of faith. It's like the reading of your wedding bands. That I am taking Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior and my Master. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is a part of 1 Corinthians talking about how we live and work together as the church, as the body of Christ. It says, for we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks or slave or free, Scots or Chinese, whatever. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Now our tendency is sometimes to say, well, you know, that just refers to the baptism of the spirit. And the body of Christ is some mystical thing. I would suggest to you, that's not the way God operates. The movement of God is not towards mysticism. The movement of God is always towards incarnation. It's toward flesh and blood, things that we see and touch and taste. Every Christian in the New Testament church who read those verses, whether they were in Rome or Corinth or Ephesus or Philippi, would automatically think back to the day in which they were baptized in water, in which they knew the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, and that act of baptism was initiating them and working them and drawing them into to be embraced by a company of Christians. They watched real faces welcome them, who smiled at them, who had prayed for them, who shed tears, who heard their story, who listened to their escape from sin and the tentacles of evil, who opened their arms and who embraced them and who welcomed them into the church. You cannot leave this truth in some kind of mystical world. We have to get wet. We get baptized. And we become part of a church body as part of that. You see, we need to earth baptism in this local church. To disconnect baptism from the visible community of the local church is to weaken both. Now let me try just to summarize what we've said this morning. I've asked you to walk and listen carefully with me. I'm not saying that if you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. I am appealing to all of us to acknowledge that in the New Testament, which we accept as giving us our practice and life as Christians, in which we say we follow Jesus, baptism was understood as your initiation. It was your welcome into the community of the church. Baptism is closely connected to our belonging to the family and the people of God. And we've disconnected baptism, sadly, from some core biblical practices. So what would it mean if we were to reconnect this powerful experience so that calling ourselves a Baptist church is more than just having a label on the notice board outside. 
It is the authoritative statement for our lives about what it means to follow Jesus. About how we will live this new and transformed life. It is about the life and the power of the Spirit at work in us. And it is a powerful statement about who we are and how we will operate as the church. So you see, baptism is a call to discipleship. It is a statement about the moral and ethical demands of the cross in us. It is a witness to the Spirit-endowed and a Spirit-filled life. It is an invitation to take our place in the dynamic community of this people who are called Christians. So let me ask you this morning. Are you a follower of Jesus? Would you say this morning, I am a follower of Jesus? Then you need to ask yourself, do I, am I ready to take this next step in discipleship, which is the step of following Jesus? I'm going to ask the worship team to come.